to The Third Wheel. This is episode one of The Shadow Rising. I'm yeah. Tyler. And today I'm joined by... Beyond. And apparently very excited... Jesse, hey, this book is pretty good. Yeah. Although, a pretty good book deserves a pretty good intro. You want me to just do an intro? Do it? Do you know what it's like to have to prepare an intro? I can feel it seeping into me. Sidene is different from Sidar. Do you get it? Men are different from women as defined by reality. Ugh. We'll get to it. We'll get to Disgusting. it. Disgusting. Bjorn's already done hearing about it. I mean, it's not a totally new concept. It's just this part goes really hard on it. Yeah. But no, like, the whole... It's good. It's just that part is so good. It's gross. The rest of it is good, though. Before we get started, shout out to the random person I met in a coffee shop today who saw me take notes and came up to talk to me. And I got March 10th, 2020. Way to immediately date us. Hey, I let people behind the scenes. I guess so. The curtain is being pulled back as we speak. So shout out to that guy. Yeah. Um, if he's still watching, listening to this point. Yeah, it would be a nice little surprise for him. It's only like 90 seconds in. We'd have to do a pretty bad job. To well, do you think you you'd start from the beginning? beginning? Oh, that's true. It's possible. Some Why people... wouldn't you start at the beginning? Well, some people start with the most recent episode. Why? I don't know. Just because they're cultured individuals. Yeah. Well, if it's something that's chronologically discussed in a podcast and not just a slice of life, then uh, why would you not start from the beginning? I could also see someone just starting with Shadow Rising because they don't like the first few books, something like that. That's possible. We never know. We never hear from anyone, so we don't know what people's (laughs) listening habits are. Well, it's also totally possible that somebody could be like, hey, let me listen to the newest episode. Is their audio quality okay? Great. Now I'll go back and listen to the parts I care about. That's what I do. That's yeah. fair. You gotta make sure that these people know how to turn on a mic that isn't underwater. It's a surprisingly common problem. Anyways. Anyways. Are, are we talking about a book or something? Not yet. <laughs> um... So, Shadow Rising does not start with a prologue, starts with chapter one, Seeds of Shadow. I mean, it pretty much functions like a prologue anyway. It's pretty... Yeah, I don't know why it's not a prologue, because this is very much like a prologue chapter. I think Bion actually made a comment about that. I called it the prologue. Yeah. It pretty much is. I think the only difference is that Min gets chapters later. And usually the prologue is like a bunch of minor perspectives that you don't like see a whole storyline of through the book. But Min has chapters going forward. Good for her. Yeah, seriously. Good for Min. Everything is good for Min. You mean Elmendretta? Uh, yeah, sorry. I meant Elmendretta. What a silly girl. Yeah, she is caught in between two men she said she would marry. And now she's got to hide out. Put on a lot of makeup. Put on so much makeup and grow her hair and wear dresses. Marriage is a social construct. Bjorn looks like they didn't read that particular paragraph very closely and are just hearing about this for the first time. (laughs) I guess when I just see marriage, I kind of skim over. Well, but it's fake marriages, cover story marriages. Yeah, we've all been there. Fake dating AUs. It's not even an AU. This is canon. Speaking of canon, the story. Um, So we open on Min. She's in the White Tower, here to meet Suwon. The last time that we saw Min was the beginning of book three. And she was hiding out in the camp that Rand had constructed. So it's been a hot second. Yeah, well, she set off with Moraine, Perrin, and those people, but then split off to go to the White Tower. Was she with them? For a second. Okay. Well, yeah. She went to head off to the White Tower to um, inform Suan of what happened in the, like, month or whatever in between the Which wonders- really isn't much. No. 
I mean, I guess the last thing that happened was, hey, Rand is gone. We think he's going to tear. So I guess that's worth knowing. Yeah. Isn't it also setting up foreshadowing for Min- with Min's powerful vision things? I mean, well, I mean, that's the Min. function in the story. But the <laughs> idea that Moraine sent her there is about what information she can give Suan. But Moraine might also be considering the visions. I mean, Min's position in, yeah, the entire story is just to spout foreshadowing. Let me just drop some foreshadowing in. The hottest it's, foreshadowing of... It's not, it's not even foreshadowing. No. It's like explicitly telling you what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I wonder what it means. It depends on where it is. She has some that like is foreshadowing for multiple books ahead, but for the most part, yeah, it's like this is foreshadowing for later in this chapter. It's happening right now. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so she's there to see Suwon, and there's a lot of intro here about how much she hates wearing dresses and hates having to like talk her way up to actually see the person that she's here to see. She eventually gets an accepted to take her, and she runs into Gawain on the well, way. Well, she's, she's also having visions whenever she sees the Aes Sedai. Yeah, I... Yes, um, I have that marked. I had just consolidated it all. But yes, during this whole section, she's seeing, like, Aes Sedai dying and Warders dying. That just seems really traumatizing and unnecessary. You know, like, she's just trying to say the message, and here she is getting death visions. Well, That's her life. That's our man. And they're all going to die on the same day, so that's not suspicious. Nope. Um, and one of these Aes Sedai is going to end up in an Adam, which is bad. You generally want to avoid that. Because that's the, is that the thing they do the, to the demand? I will not be collared. Wait, to the men? To the D-A-M-A-N-A. Oh, the Damane. Domain. Yeah. Please, the Damani, not the Domani. Uh, the bad thing. Yeah. So... On the way to Sisuan, she runs into Gawain, who... And she totally drops her disguise to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, she tells him... Or, I'm sorry, other way around. Uh, he tells her, hey, do you know where any of the Wonder Squad is? Because all Suwon will tell me is that they're off on a farm somewhere. <laughs> and Min's like, yeah, they're on a farm. Don't go to that farm. The one that I know... <laughs> Specifically, she'll say, as far as you're concerned, they're on a farm. Yeah. She can't lie. I mean, Min is allowed to lie as far as I'm aware. Yeah, she's not well, a... Oh, Suwon, yes. Suwon. Yeah. Yeah. They may as well be on a farm. God, I... Everybody keeps going in the dark, but that's probably because they can tell he's an idiot. <laughs> the himbo. He we'll get to it. A himbo. But yeah, he's like, where's my sister and this girl I have the hots for and their other friend? Yeah, her too. Yeah. Also that third one. So they get away from him and they... Oh, um, yeah. I actually also had one more thing. Gowan sort of doesn't understand why Elaine is going around with Egwene and Nenev on Wonder Squad missions. Mm-hmm. And he talks about her playing at being Aes Sedai. Min thinks apparently he did not realize the extent of his sister's talents. Which is sort of an interesting note about how other characters see Elaine's actions, that she's just a tag-along with no real power, sort of like a silly rich girl, but she's actually more powerful than pretty much anyone. And it's sort of some added flavor to both what she's doing and how other people view what she's doing, if you realize that most people don't realize she's super, super powerful. Yeah, although I do want to note, I think we also, in the last book, pointed out that for the time being, like, she is kind of just also there. Yeah, I mean, as far as adding dramatic value, she's just also there. That's true. But but yes, in like... But that changes soon. That A, changes soon, and B, yeah, she's... She's important in the, like, grand scheme of the tower. But Gawain, of course, wouldn't know that. He's just a silly man. So Min eventually gets taken to see Suwon... And tries to warn her about the impending deaths, including the sister and the Adam. And Suwon basically says, well, 
if it's too soon, then I can't deal with it. And if it's far away, then I'm not going to deal with it right now, which insert the wisdom. Yeah. Insert the meme about like Suan displaying leadership and it's just (laughs) fishing metaphors. Um, Min reiterates, I think you said this, that it's like the killing is going to happen in the tower. But all Suwon cares about here is manipulating Min into being a spy for the uh, against the Black Aja. Yeah, which is she great. Says, you are no dark friend, I know. Which, how? How does she know? How do you know these it's things? It's her magic fishing powers. Oh, I got it. Because Min's like a school of silver, silver pike. pike waiting in the reeds for you to have a vision that is both requested and ignored through the bottom of your boat anyways yeah so at this point we cut away to elida who is puzzling out what's going on behind the scenes um she's still thinking a lot about rand and how sick that one scene was back in camelin she's like i think this guy can channel she figures if Suan is guiding him, then she's in league with a male channeler. And so Elida knows that the right thing to do is to stop her before she can destroy the tower. This is actually some good Elida stuff. She's still terrible, but it makes it make what she's doing at least have some coherence. Yeah, it brings us back to the note earlier in the story when the Wonder Squad is trying to figure out if Elida is a dark friend and they come to the conclusion no i think we just don't like her yeah like even in private in this chapter elida swears with light burn her which isn't something a dark friend would say no they would say great lord take my soul or whatever so then we cut to bornhold the younger who has br with him as well as a few hundred children of the light and ordith aka Patton fane Yep, and this is the chapter that establishes my favorite detail about Crazy Fane, uh-huh. where he'll change accents mid-sentence yeah. or forget which accent he's supposed to have. Yeah, um, Bornhold mentions that, like, oh, he's got the strong accent today. That's so suspicious. It's ri- I mean, he's a suspicious guy, <laughs> sort of across the board. And he turns everyone else around him into suspicious guys, too. Yeah. Some might say he's got some sort of a miasma or a bubble of evil. Anyway. I was going to use the word taint and tainting and tainted. The but dark one's taint. Also, yeah. Mordeth's taint. Hmm. Also, Ordeeth is really close to Mordeth. Come on, man. Yeah. Well... I mean, you saw that for the show, they had to change characters' names, right? Like what? Um, I forget who. It was It was a pair that was like, when it's written down, it's obviously different, but out loud, they're the same, and so they had to go ahead and change names. My father was very upset by that. I mean, do you Aww. know which ones it was? I don't. It was some minor characters. I'm sure you could go back and look. Is it Leonie and Leany? No, <laughs> although light send that they decide to change those. Anyway, there's best to- prepare yourself for when Leany becomes a major character. Mm. Which one? <laughs> uh, the one with all of the pithy sayings about what it means to be a woman. Great. Oh no, are they awful? Wait, also which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they both do that. They both do that. The one that's like a hundred years old. Wait, which one? <laughs> what distinct characters? Anyways. Yeah. So there's talk among these children of scouring the two rivers and of revenge against both Althor and Perrin Ibarra of the two rivers. Get Perrin hyped. Dark Friend. Sorry, did you say Perrin the Dark Friend? Infamous Dark Friend. Perrin Ibarra. Uh, next up that we get to see is the High Lady Saroth, a Shanshan noblewoman who has gathered the forces of the Shanshan that were pushed back from Falm and is waiting on a set of islands near to the Westlands. How is this not a prologue? It's 
it is a prologue. I don't know why it's not listed as a prologue, but like this is very much a prologue chapter. Like Robert Jordan has no problem with prologues. I don't know why he's beating around the bush on this one. No, like later in the series, this is by definition a prologue chapter. Although it's not 100 pages long, so maybe it's really not. Maybe he looked at it and was like, I only squeezed 40 pages out of this one. It's got to be a real chapter. I mean, this is the longest chapter in this section by like a large margin. Yeah. Also, she notes that on the heights, the paths are paved with daggers. Hey, that's a book name. There's it's like there's a whole path of daggers. Stabby stab. Book eight. We'll get there. So she interrogates a Daemon that used to be an Aes Sedai, which this is the one that uh, Egoin met back in book two, worth noting. And she finds out nothing except that there's no way the tower, Omerlin, or Hall could ever support a dragon, false or otherwise. Um, Suroth plots Good against- intel. Yeah. Uh, Suroth plots against the Empress, may she live forever. Uh, the Shanshan are really fascinating. Like we'll the, get to it. Yeah. So chapter two, Whirlpools in the Pattern. In Tyr, Perrin, and Fael are arguing about what to do. The like chapter starts with a bunch of pretty boring pontificating about the people of Tyr. Uh-huh. But it said, Who held the stone was Lord of Tyr, city and nation. That was the way it had always been, and the people of Tyr accepted it always. And this sort of starts me on my thinking of this section is of how much do we buy Rand being an actual factual lord that sets policy and has people listen to him? I mean, he does set policy and people do listen to him. I know, but like, does it feel real? I don't know. Like, Bion, did it register for you of Rand being able to be an actual king of a nation right now? No, his 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 brain mind space is a mess. I don't No, no, just just take him away from the general populace. But he needs to unite all the nations. He needs to go to therapy. <laughs> Magical therapy. But I mean, literally he pulls some sword from a stone and now he's King, I wonder what that sounds like. Oh no, what could it possibly be? I mean, he's also not, like, running day-to-day operations of the city. That's still up to the nobles. The only thing that we know that he's done so far is, like, redone their legal system so that uh, nobles can get called out. Which honestly is a pretty good concept. Yeah, he's a man of the people, but it's was shocking to me the first time I read it that now we're doing, like, palace life for a hundred pages. Just suddenly, we've we've been faced with all the, like, adventures and surviving the outdoors. And here we are. Politics. I'll tell you, I looked forward through the book to figure out what sections, or, like, what chunks we're reading. It's not a hundred pages. It's closer to 300. Yay! Yup. Why do we do this? It's like a third of the book. This is like the most detailed 24 hours in the entire series. You don't even know. Yeah, it feels longer than 24 hours. (laughs) We're not even done with this 24 hours. No. We're not even done with... We haven't even started the first hour. No. I literally tried to do the first note and Jesse stopped me. (laughs) 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 So in tier, Perrin and Fael are arguing about what to do. Uh, Fael thinks that they should get out of Tyr and be away from Rand um, and do that before anybody notices and that the safest place is wherever he isn't. Seems like a true fact. (laughs) And Perrin has started smelling emotions, like every sentence. I was going to say, I have a note later in this section where I start to, I'm like putting a pin in something for the rest of the series that is based on Perrin being able to smell emotions, which is a thing he can do now. Yeah. Essentially, like, there's also this moment where he's smelling that Fael is kind of nervous. She's saying, you don't stand up for yourself. And then he did not comment. It was not his rooms that made her smell of unease any more than his beard. So he'll be able to smell what she's feeling, but he needs some emotional intelligence to understand why she's feeling what she's feeling, which will cause problems later. 
Yeah. Uh, I will say Perrin definitely got both an ability and a competency upgrade in between books. And Rand Rand also got both of those, but also he like regained a bunch of sanity. Yeah, somehow. Somehow. Don't think about it. Is his relationship with Fail going to be a men versus women dynamic? Fail. Fail. Is his relationship with Falcon going to be a men versus women dynamic? It's not so much no. men versus women. It's more like a can't live with them, can't live without them. It's. I mean, knowing how it ends or how like the problem that you're talking about resolves, I think it's more that parents just an idiot and doesn't know like. <laughs> how to communicate with his significant other specifically as opposed to communicating to her like as a woman okay i can accept that like he needs to tailor his approach to her which he isn't doing he's 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 just werewolf scenting yeah he has the big dumb basically and the big nose yeah Uh, well no that's fail Uh, Perrin wants to follow his duty and his Tavaran nature and follow Rand since it's gonna happen one way or another. Congrats, you figured it out like three books faster than Matt did. (laughs) Uh, So as their argument is winding down, Perrin's axe, uh, which I don't know if you know, has a wicked half moon blade and it's balanced (laughs) by a spike for balance. (laughs) Um, It comes to life and it tries to kill them, which is a bad look. Uh, Perrin fights it off. Is this a literal metaphor? Hmm, thinking emoji. Uh, he fights it off, but in doing so, he, like, bodily throws Fail out of the room. And after he finishes off the axe, which, I mean, I don't know, he, like, buries it in a door. He opens it up, and Fail slaps him as thanks. Is this the thing where he has to choose between the axe and the falcon? No, he has to choose between the axe and the hammer. Oh, I'm sorry. He has already chosen the falcon as okay. his falcon wife. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I get confused. Yeah. No, he does not. Nothing is coming in between him and Fail except the two of them being idiots. Communication problems. And all the spanking. But she likes the spanking. She definitely likes the spanking. We'll get to it. Robert Jordan explores kinks. No, he really just explores the one really deeply. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Perrin resolves to go and tell Rand to knock off the whole trying to kill him thing. And uh, so he goes with Fael. So we cut to Matt. He's playing cards with some young idiot lords. They're bantering about women when the topic of some of Rand's decrees comes up. And this is where we find out that pretty much all Rand has done besides intimidate lords is say, hey, if you're doing something wrong, you're going to get judged. You are not above the law. Yeah. It does really bother me that Matt is Matt with one T. (sighs) Would you prefer that we always call him Matrim? No. Is that Latin for something? Matt with one T. It just makes me... Th- well, Matrim makes me think of matrimony. But Matt with one T just makes me think of, like, the literal rug. No. Oh. Uh, it's from Latin matus, meaning depressed. <laughs> Anyways. Matt is super the, like... Nothing matters, rad kid with the hat. Yeah, so as the next round of this card game starts up, the cards come to life and begin to attack the assembled group. It's actually kind of cool. Like, one of the cards starts stabbing Matt in the hand, and then the figures step out of the cards and are growing. Yeah, this is sort of weird. I mean, it's weird. I mean, everything we've seen up to this point with the magic has been sort of elemental, like sort of the very basic forces of the universe being manipulated for magic. But this feels more like cultural magic that you would see in something like Pact. Yeah. They're using like the semiotics of cards as the basis for like a magical effect, Mm -hmm. which is something that we haven't really seen in this series. Maybe it's because it's something 
different. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there was some stuff that we sort of skimmed over about how much of these lords suck. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they're the... I mean, they're not the worst because I there are other lords in tier, but they're definitely bad. Eat yeah. the rich. Like, they're offended that they can't have their way with fishermen's daughters. And then when they talk about the idea of going to war with Ilian, it says, with the Lord Dragon to lead us, holding Kalimdor, we'll not even have to fight. He will scatter their armies and we will march straight into Ilian. Too bad, in a way. Burn my soul if it isn't. I would like a chance to match swords with the Ilianers. It's like, you want to have a war that your lord will win for you and then be real sick about it? Yeah, I mean, they suck. And <laughs> I don't know. Rant. Rant could totally beat them. Ilian first, Raymond said. And Whoa. then then we'll conquer the world for the Lord Dragon. Oh god! You tell him I said so, Matt. The whole world. Make Ilian great again. I, I thought that that was like an America first comment about. <laughs> no, it's Ilian is the first place we'll destroy. I mean, later on in this section, they do talk about if Rand took out Ilian, he would pretty much he would have the strongest army in the world. It would take everyone else to go against him. Yeah. And also Matt starts spouting some old tongue again. Yeah. And then all of the lords are like, I got a word here or there. So it's like frat boys with Latin. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Very much that vibe. Yeah. Younger lords know the old tongue better. But they just know like a couple words and they'll tell girls at parties that they know the old tongue. Mm -hmm. You want to see my old tongue? Whoa. <laughs> hey, how old's your tongue? You want. I can't complete that sentence. Not so dry and not, dusty. Not while being recorded. <laughs> you just open your mouth in a puff of dust. Anshar. Anyway. Fudge. Uh, yeah. So Matt throws some daggers and destroys the card people. I have a question. Do you think that Matt is like actually falling in slow motion, or is he just having bullet time? I'm not sure. I the, suspect it's bullet time. The fact that the rest of the people can act as if nothing happens makes it seem like it was bullet time, but... But also, I don't The know. language sounds more like he's mired in air. Maybe. It, is bullet time like Matrix, where you yeah. like, we're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's too shaken to continue playing cards, and... Matt goes off to confront Rand, which... Or not confront Rand. Yeah, as we find out. Politely ask Rand from a distance. Politely ask Rand to cease. It is pretty telling that both Matt and Perrin assume it's Rand trying to kill them. Yeah. What great friends. What great friends. Yeah, I was very surprised. Jesse, I would never assume that it was you bringing cards to life to kill me. Or I that mean... you had awakened my... Wicked half moon axe with a spike on the back. First off, you're not cool enough to have an axe like that. And then secondly, you know it'd be me. Wouldn't that make me uncool if I had an axe like that? I don't even know, actually. I'll wear one to work and no. see if it boosts my cred. They'll roast you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think security will drop me. Anyways, Rand has a sex dream. Um, I have it listed as a mostly nice dream because I was trying to stay PG. But hey, we have the explicit tag on. Do we? I yeah. didn't realize. Yeah, you can say just, bad words. But I don't yeah, want just, to. It's just to be safe, because if you don't have the tag on, then iTunes can unlist you if you swear. Sweet. Yeah, Rand has a dream about Min and Elaine taking all their clothes off and being like, get in this river... <laughs> Yeah. Wait, 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 not like that. <laughs> uh, Come back. Do you not deserve what you want for a change? Mm. And being Rand is suffering. He never he never gets to do what he wants. No. Character arc. Maybe Maybe by the end he will have gotten to do what he wants once or twice. 
yeah, so something wakes him up. Uh, there's somebody in his room. He springs up, lights... Someone real thirsty. Yeah. I sense a deep thirst, deeper than mine. I can't allow anyone thirstier than me to live. Uh, he springs up out of bed, lights all of the candles, and creates the Sword of Fire. Uh, only to find that it's Barrelane. Barrelane? Barrelane? I think so. Hold on, I'm consulting the pronunciation guide. Yeah, Barrelane. The first of Maine. That's true. Um, she's Sometimes there to... I read it as the fist of Maine, which, which is <laughs> more badass. But... <laughs> I mean, that does sound like Barrelane. She is, like, definitely pretty cool. She just also is involved she's in- She's not showing it yet. No, like, she's really cool. She's just also involved in a very bad subplot that lasts for way too long. Oh, no. But that's not her fault. Yeah, she's here to seduce Rand, which doesn't work because he's too good. He's a pure boy. (laughs) He's still learning how to use the power, and he does things unconsciously, like pushing her into a box and then (laughs) shutting the box. This seems fine. Yeah. This will solve the problem. Rand's box obsession begins now. (laughs) Start your watches, people. At least it's not the forever box. Well, Rand almost goes in the forever box. Um, Suddenly, all the mirrors in his room that show his reflection, uh, the reflections start to crawl out and try to kill him. It's almost like he's struggling against himself. You can't see it, but I'm doing the thinking emoji pose. (laughs) Yeah, so he's fighting off reflections of himself. Uh, He figures out the trick to defeat them, and then he releases Barrelane, who leaves as quickly as possible. She's like, hey, this room sucks. Bye. Bye. You suck, Rand. I'm gonna go. And he's like, cool, catch you later. Rand is pensive and brooding, which, surprise, surprise. Which brings us to chapter three, Reflection. The chapters get shorter now. They're no longer 30 pages long. I appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, So Perrin and Fael make their way through the stone to Rand. Along the way, they run into a High Lord and see Berlaine leaving Rand's room in terror. It begins. Yeah. So here's where I have the note. So Perrin stares after Berylaine and Fael's like, are you getting an eyeful? Because Berylaine's wearing her usual amount of clothing, which is to say virtually nothing. Uh, Fael says she's actually going to go to bed and hopes that Perrin and Rand have a good talk, especially if there's wine. Perrin has no idea what's going on. This is their relationship now. Yeah. I'm fine. This is their relationship for the next seven books. I hope you enjoy it. No. So this is something I actually do want to call out, which is part of the idiocy that goes on is take out Perrin's thinking about this. What does Fail actually say? She teases him about getting an eyeful of Berylaine, are you? I think I'm actually going to go instead of talking to your friend. You and your friend can have a good talk. Tell me about it later if you want. In a teasing way that's like, when your friend tells you about how he just slept with Berylaine, you can tell me about that later if you want. And also she makes a joke about how innocent he is. Like, that's what actually happens. That's not the conversation that we get because Perrin is overthinking it because he knows what she's feeling, not what she's thinking. And like, I bet... I know I have emotions all the time that I say something different from what I'm feeling because I don't want to pop off at somebody. <laughs> so like because he's extremely diplomatic. It's no, it's because well, I mean, she's, it's just that your thoughts are not who you are. Like who you are is how your thoughts translate into what you do. And, and Perrin is sort of skipping that yeah. and just sort of getting the rawest versions of everything Fael is feeling. Yeah, he's like, he's acting on what she's feeling, not what she's saying or doing, oh. which is the problem. Because, again, like, what she says is, go hang out with your friend. He's going to tell you about how sick sleeping with Marilyn was. I'm going to go tell off this hoe. Yeah. I'm going to go tell her off and then go to bed. 
see you in the morning. And what Perrin hears is, oh, she's really upset. I don't know why she's upset. Fail... Why are you so upset right now? Oh my god, I'm just gonna go talk to my friend. Yeah, whatever, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> but like, that's the miscommunication. That's the next seven books. But I think it's interesting because, spoilers, it eventually resolves. And it's really good when it's finally done. Yeah, I mean, it's well thought out. It's like a character conflict based in magic it, yeah. that makes sense why it's going down the way it is. It just sucks to read. Yes, it just sucks to read. It's it's very much one of those, like, I'm not going to watch this show because I hate the protagonist. And it's like, yeah, but the point is that you hate the protagonist. Like, get on my level. So, yeah, this is... Robert Jordan is like, I just like seeing emotional strife. Yeah. So I write it. I mean, if there's no marital strife between these two, how is he going to write all those spanking scenes? <laughs> I hope you're hyped, Bjorn, because no. I know we're talking about it a lot. I'm really not. But that's because there's a lot of spanking. That's gross. Anyway, Perrin enters Rand's chamber to find him covered in blood. Everything that isn't Rand and some things that are Rand are covered in glass shards. And also Rand is about to die from blood loss. He yells for somebody to go and get Moraine. And Rand says he wasn't the one to cause the attack. Look, I know you're going to blame me. I know but. you're going to blame me for almost killing you, but not this time. <laughs> not this time. <laughs> uh, so after Moraine shows up and heals Rand, uh, she says it wasn't an attack by a Forsaken that did this for the reason that you said. Magic in this series is more elemental, um, but it was a bubble of evil, which I don't think she calls it that, but that's what they refer to it as for the rest of the series. So that's what it is. What a very basic name. Yeah. The good news is I've chosen to interpret it as not a proper noun, which saves me so much time in typing. What or it will down the line. Uh, it's risen from the Dark One's slowly unraveling prison, and these events are especially drawn to Tavar, and sucks to be them. Uh, Rand is tired, and he has everybody leave. He says, we'll talk about this tomorrow. Sorry for everybody almost dying, because the three of us are all in the building together. When it's drawn to Tavarin, does that mean that it wants to destroy the things that are Tavarin? Or that it's just drawn to the fact that there's power? I mean, if you think of Tavarin as sort of like having a gravitational pull in the pattern... And these things are things rising up through the pattern. It's sort of that idea, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're just pulling in everything. And because the... So, again, think about, like, metaphysically, the pattern exists in space. Mm -hmm. And, like, on one side of the pattern is the creator, maybe. And on the other side is definitely the dark one. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, like, if the dark one is down here, bubbles are coming up. And then because the three boys are all Tavarin. They're pulling everything, and so the bubbles are pulled towards them. Oh, okay. It made a lot of sense when I did it with my hand. Yes, it actually did. <laughs> yeah. Great audio. Yeah. I mean, we can include an imager album of my hand doing <laughs> the like, positions if you want, but I don't think it's going to make very good. Will it get internet comments? No. Will they love us then? Uh, that anyway. Huh. Also in this section, we get some stuff with Lan being defiant to Moraine and being Rand's only real friend. Yeah, we're continuing on the trend of Lan is a good dude, and also he's still salty about the whole Moraine's like, <laughs> when I die, you're going to go hang out with this lady that you barely know. Which is fair. Which is fair, because he's going to be compelled to do so, which is not a thing that they do with the water bond. It's like a faux pas. That to... takes away his free will. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like, hey, you should go do this. It's like, he... You're gonna do this. Yeah, he can't do anything except go and do that. Or like, he can't not do things that are in service of going towards this person. So that brings us to chapter four, Strings. Tom is in his room in the servants' quarters, prepping his manipulations to damage political power of High Lord's for Rand. Tom 
is a good-ish dude. <laughs> Heavy on the ish, light on the good. Matt shows up and relates the events of the night to him. And Matt's like freaking out. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Do you want to play some stones? Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm going. I'm I'm walking out the door right now. Hey, is that stones? Yeah, so Matt's talking about leaving, why he hasn't left yet, coming up with excuses, and then proposes that Tom comes with him. Uh, they can live the platonic male dream and just, <laughs> they're just going to go, Tom's going to play his harp, Matt's going to dice, and they'll just, like, spend their lives together in a totally <laughs> platonic way. Uh, Tom's like, that sounds sick, but maybe tomorrow. <laughs> also, Tom suggests to Matt that the reason he doesn't want to leave is maybe it's because Rand is your friend and you don't want to desert him. If only. <laughs> yeah. And Matt's like, no, I can actually tell you for sure. It's not that reason. <laughs> uh, if only. Why can't we have soft friend wheel of time? No one in this series is soft. I must be harder than Quindalar. I don't know if you've heard that about anyone. Yeah, there really that. isn't anybody soft. No. I mean, it's not exactly the time for soft people in this series. It's kind of the end of the world. It's always the end of the world. I mean, yeah. Uh, so that brings us to chapter five, questioners. We have a string. Who of are Elaine, Egwene, and the Knave. Yeah. Just to be clear, they're, it's not like evil people. I mean, even though it's sort of an ominous word. Yeah. It's there to throw you off. Uh, so Eggy and Nave are doing the questioning. Um, they're interrogating the two black sisters that they captured during the assault on the stone. And Moraine was just there, but then she left and yeah. said an hour Moraine had promised them for the first time in days. For the first time in days, she had spoken to them. And then she left without an explanation after a bare five minutes. So Moraine hasn't spoken to them in days like every single major character in the entire series is in the same place at the same time and no one is talking to each other that'd be too convenient and the story would go on too soon we couldn't have that we need to stretch out these books oh god i hope to god that the show changes the tenor of how characters treat each other in this series it's like infuriating also yeah i don't know why it's been yeah, I don't know. It's, I won't defend that. I, this series is maybe not, <sighs> I agree. I hope that the show is better. Like, how am I supposed to care about the relationships between these characters when they all act like they hate each other? I can only continue to tell you that it gets kind of better. <laughs> like, yeah. Once everyone accepts that the end of the world is happening live on stream right now, <laughs> like, everybody kind of chills out. It's going to be on Twitch Fails YouTube. Oh, God. Uh, so one of the two black sisters that they captured has been stilled. And weirdly enough, she no longer looks ageless. Yeah, I don't know how this isn't common knowledge that people look different after they've been stilled. I assume because they kill themselves immediately. They say it's, like, within a couple of years, though, not, like, immediately. That's true. Well, yeah, it's only been, what, two or three weeks since she would have been stilled? Yeah. The other one being- Also, why not still the other one? Well, I don't like think- like you ever want her to channel again. I don't know that they stilled her on purpose, because they probably only still you back in Tarvalin. She's the one that got stilled because it was, like, the mental battle, right? Maybe. It was like she like burned herself out. Yeah, maybe. I I, I thought one 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 of the Wonder Squad and her in the previous book had like had a, a dream battle. Had a dream battle. Yeah. So Eggy has the dream battle in the heart of the stone, and that one she shields, ties up, and then leaves there. The other one that they capture is the one outside of the cell that Egwene puts the shield on in Teleranriad. So the stories that the two of them are telling are that there's something in Tanchico that's going to help the Black Aja against Rand, uh, but it's dangerous for them to use, which is why it wasn't first on their priority list. 
In addition, the Black Sisters are planning to break Mazram Tame free before he reaches the tower and then declare him as Rand Althor and let him go ape. Which actually, so I mean, Tyler, you talk a lot about how like one of your favorite parts of the series is how information gets distorted by rumor over distance and time. Uh-huh. Which this is what that plan is based on. Like, if you have a single person saying they're Randall Thor doing horrific shit, no matter what contravening evidence comes up, you're never going to get rid of that rumor. Yeah. And also, at the end of Lord of Chaos, there's an interview with Robert Jordan, and he specifically points out that that was one of his main ideas in writing the series, was the idea of how information gets distorded over time and distance so you and robert jordan are good friends i am robert jordan Ew. spun out again into the pattern disgusting <laughs> how does it feel to be in the room with me i'm actively disgusted Great. um have him calling himself randall thor and because not enough of the world knows specifically who this man calling himself the dragon reborn is that's how it can be effective as a smear campaign well, because, so they release a man that can channel who is calling himself Randall Thor and saying that he is the Dragon Reborn. And then, even if they then capture him, later on you hear about the actual Randall Thor and you're like, hey, wasn't that the guy that was going crazy before? And burning down villages. and Yeah, and mm. then even if you get somebody to say, well, no, the other guy was this dude named Masram Tame. Like, it's too late. You've already created the rumor. I see. Although... Essentially, if that happens, no one will ever be on Rand's side again. It would be pretty much impossible. And they call out exactly that you can't actually fix the rumor once it's out there. So, again, another shorter chapter brings us to chapter six. Not a shorter chapter. It's called Doorways. I was so hyped thinking that we were already getting to the doorway. I also was. (laughs) Chapter 13... Is into the doorway. Yeah, I looked and, like, even the next section that we're going to read does not include people leaving the stone. It's like, <sighs> like, the not the next section we do, but the one after that starts with everybody leaving. Great. Yeah. Leaving the, the physical location they're in for another physical location, or leaving for that weird in-betweeny space? What do you mean? How they, like, travel the ways or whatever. Uh, somebody goes... Well, Rand isn't yeah. allowed in the ways anymore. Okay. Because Fane tainted Machinshian. Yeah. I read that on the wiki. I totally didn't really understand that that's what happened when I first read it. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I was just wondering, for some reason, doorways make me think of portals to other places. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a whole other kind of doorway that right. answer your questions as long as you ask them right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Also, I think this chapter is our first Elaine POV chapter. Am I wrong? Um, I don't know. She might have had one earlier thinking about how Eggie and Nave keep fighting. Maybe. Maybe. I try not to pay attention. <laughs> like, this is like full Elaine POV. This one is very Elaine POV. Complete with leany sayings and... Crying. Not knowing... And not knowing stuff about the two rivers. Yeah. She doesn't know about that good two rivers woolen. (laughs) So Moraine returns from healing Rand and she's big upsetty spaghetti. (laughs) Uh, She sends for guards to remove the prisoners and then turns on the wonder squad. Uh, Egwene is presuming too much. Nenev is still too strong willed and Elaine can't stop crying (laughs) because Bear Elaine was in Rand's room. She's like, I was gone for one hour. I was gone for one hour and he, uh, you're all ruined. So once the first round of barbs is sorted out, uh, Moraine tells them her plan for Rand. He's going to take Tyr to war against Ilian and Samael. And then she says, like, as a consequence of that, he will have enough people flocking to his banner in Eridomen to take that over without having to do anything and then all three of these countries combined he will have an army that's bigger than anybody else's and nobody can challenge him technically elaine explains it right well yeah but which is kind of weird moraine like keeps turning to elaine and being like 
yeah, why don't you tell them what the plan is, Elaine? Well, I mean, she's basically a princess, right? She is a princess. She is a princess. So, So, like, she's educated on what Moraine is thinking here. Yeah. It's something she's specifically been raised to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's just weird that Moraine is like, Elaine, would you take it from here? My good friend, Elaine? Yeah. Elaine, please don't be like the other two. My close personal friend, (gasps) Elaine. Uh, Yeah, so Egwene and Nave question the course, and Elaine explains that one way or another war will happen, and that Rand just can't stay put doing nothing. And then, Jesse, I want to call out to you a few different things here, because there's like a lot of foreshadowing in the one page. Mm -hmm. Um, Rand having a translation of the prophecies of the dragon in the old tongue. The relevant prophecy itself... The Forsaken that Moraine chooses to list as being dangerous to him. Avienda being assigned to hang around to guard the Wonder Squad. And what Moraine says she is almost willing to do to guide Rand are all uh, foreshadowing either for this book or the next one. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's just a bunch of it compressed all into that one page. Like, I wasn't going to say anything, but as I kept reading... I was like, no, there's too much. I can't not say anything. Is this something he expects the reader to remember? Or is it something that the reader realizes? It's something after. I'm realizing on second read through. I don't think unless I like call back to the specific prophecy. I mean, the idea is that the series is so long and full of detail that you're not going to remember everything. So like when you get to a reveal, you might not remember every piece of foreshadowing but it'll at least have been in your brain somewhere. Yeah. I see. So it feels like it makes sense. Also, it's generally, the series generally isn't that bad at, like, calling out when there's information that you, that was important that you may have forgotten since the last time it was mentioned. He'll remind you a lot. Yeah. He won't remind you of, like, the text of the prophecy, but he will remind you, hey, there was a prophecy that Moraine threw out that she was totally wrong in her interpretation of. Let me tell you about Moraine being wrong. Yeah. Uh, And so finally, Moraine tells them the most important thing she's found here, which is a redstone terangrial doorway. A twisted doorway, even. Oh, also, Moraine says... I could wager I know the... They're talking about romance for some reason. They go off on a tangent... Egwene tells Elaine that, hey, you can have Rand, I don't care. And then Egwene asks Moraine if she's ever been in love. And Moraine says, I could wager I know the face of the man I will marry better than either of you knows that of your future husband. Which, hedge, 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 hedge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the hedgiest answer of all time. I like, c- I don't even know what it means. I could wager that, but I won't. <laughs> There's like six different layers of hedging in that answer. Yeah. I mean... I don't even know what it means, and I pretty much know where she's going. Yeah, I have a pretty solid idea, but even then, she's not exactly, like, being clear. Although, as like as soon as she's done saying that, she does turn towards Nenave. And it's like, it's not land, by the way. Yeah. And then she turns back towards everyone else in the room. Anyway, Tarangriel. Tarangriel doorway. A twisted redstone doorway. Uh, you can enter and ask three questions with, like, empirically true answers given, but you can only go in once, and you can't ask anything about the shadow. Uh, she says if Rand doesn't come up with a plan soon, she's going to go through the doorway and ask the questions. Uh, so as Moraine- and we get like a whole two pages of explanation about why Moraine knows this about the door and about the geopol- geopolitical history of Mayene, and it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot Do of- Do we need this? I mean, if you're writing a fan fiction. Because it seems like a really powerful tool. Yes. Well- If you know how to ask the right questions, it's extremely powerful. Yes. But I mean, no matter what. They're going to give you answers that you won't understand until it's too late. I guess it depends on how cryptic your questions are, or how broad uh, the answers could be. 
Hint, hint. Sure hope nobody goes in and asks a bunch of broad questions. Oh, dear. <laughs> so after Moraine leaves, it's just the squad discussing boy troubles. Very much so. Uh, yeah, really. Elaine's, uh, like, drinking while discussing her boy <laughs> troubles. Yeah. Egwene says, my mother says men are different from us. She says, we want to be in She says, women want to be in love, but only with the one we want. A man needs to be in love, but he will love the first woman to tie a string to his heart. Ah, the the good old women are locks, men are keys metaphor. It's uh, good stuff right there. Do you get it? Anyways, (sighs) Elaine wants to marry Egwene. I mean, (laughs) Rand. Whoa. (laughs) Elaine wants to marry Rand, even though she's talked to him once. Yeah, Yeah, what's with this? Because, like, doesn't Min's Min's first chapter prologue nonsense also talk about her infatuation with Brand? Do you want the good answer or the real answer? Why don't you give me both, honey? Okay, the good answer is Robert Jordan sucks sometimes. Uh Uh-huh. The real answer is who is Rand a reincarnation of? LL boy. Yes. LTT. Do you remember LTT's wife, Ilyana, my love, mm. also called Ilyana Sunhair, a hot blonde that he was in love with? Gosh, sure would suck. But why it, does he get a harem? Well, that's definitely because Robert Jordan sucks sometimes. <laughs> but the reason that it's Elaine specifically is because they are like fated to always be in love. That's stupid yeah yeah it is no i hadn't actually made like it makes sense the idea that elaine is Ilyana and that sort of justifies the instant love story but except that elaine is the worst of the three romances and so it really undermines retroactively undermines luce theron and uh Ilyana. there's three by the way beyond there's another one yeah well, that's what Min keeps saying, is that she sees Rand with three women around him. He just... I mean, he's a good, he's pure su- boy. He's, he's such a magnetic personality. He's literally everyone... magnetic. <laughs> I mean, story magic. He is a magnetic person. Yeah. But, oh my god, he's just so much fun to talk to. I want to spend all of my time with him. She doesn't even know about how fun it is to talk to him. <laughs> Is monogamy the main relationship, the the main het relationship within the society? And because he's the dragon reborn, he gets to have three wives? No. No, it's not treated like that. Yeah. The Aiel have polygamy and polyamory and stuff, but there's like a lot of culture around it, which we'll see. Yeah. In this book and the next one are the two primary that I can think of. And Rand's an Aiel, worth noting. So it's fine. Rand is ethnically Aiel, culturally... Andoran. Andoran. Wouldn't it be he's racially Aiel? You know what? ethnically Andoran? Listen, we can't all have your edumacation where we know the difference between race and ethnicity. Race is a social construct and is based on the phenotype and physical representations, how you're presented to the world. Then no, he's ethnically Aiel, because there's like actual physical differences between i mean he's not like a different species but like aiel are taller and have a markedly different skin tone and range of hair and eye colors ethnicity is the culture the society the the food the family the community race is the way that you are seen by others like i can't be like i'm white because people see me racially as asian but if I'm actually interacting with people of Asian descent, raised by Asian people, my experiences of culture are distinctly different from theirs because I am gentrified and I do not really share the same ethnic background because I've been raised by white people. Then yes, Rand is racially Aiel, ethnically Andoran. We've straightened it out. <laughs> We've straightened it out just like how Rand is going to straighten out these girls in the next chapter. Where he's just like, I'm really powerful. Well, he's like, I'm really crazy. (laughs) Are they not the same? Whoa. We're going to have to start another podcast just to talk about that question. Uh, So chapter seven, playing with fire. 
Hmm. Do you get it? Uh, so the next morning, Egwene and Elaine are on their way to talk to Rand. Uh, it, worth noting, the text calls out that Elaine made herself more physically appealing with the dress, which sucks. And then Aggie's like, yeah. I'm done. He's a brother. No, Egwene encouraged it. She was like pulling down her dress and being like, come on, show a little more. Yeah. Uh, well, she's done with it for herself. I, I, I meant Ugg for herself, and she's like, I'm not putting effort into him. Uh, so when they arrive, he's awake and mildly annoyed with everything. He's, like, physically removed one High Lord from his room and told two others to leave. Shot put them. Yeah. He, uh, he just used air to tie them up and then javelined them. What a power move. <laughs> across the heart. Um, so the girls offer their help in not starting a war, and Rand says, starting a war? That's not the plan. They get to the reason that they're actually there, which is to help him learn how to use Sidene. In spite they're of- totally the qualified for this. Yeah, in spite of the fact that A, they can't, and B, they can't. <laughs> um, so the girls begin their lesson and quickly come to mostly the same conclusion that Moraine had. Uh, there's no cross-pollination between the way that the two powers work, and neither can tell what the other is doing as far as, like, actually weaving. I thought you were going to say quickly come to magical blows, which <laughs> they do. They do. Although, yeah. Like, Rand pinches Elaine's bottom with air, and then she, like, slaps him on the ass hard. Wow, Ugh. just accelerating Spank real quick. Is. Yeah. Uh, the closest that they can get is they figure out that Rand gets goosebumps when a woman nearby is holding the source. Next, they tell him to simply hold Sidene and then to and do something. Do something. That's so vague. And then <laughs> he does the thing. He's like, he oh. does something. He's like, oh, I'll do something. <laughs> uh, He's he, crazy. Yeah, he lifts them up in the air, burns most of the room, tears apart everything that's not on fire. And, shields them. And also shields them all at once without really realizing what he's doing. Um, and he's like cackling to himself, basically. And the girls are do like... Do something. Yeah. He's like, do something. Oh, I'm doing something. Are you happy with me doing something now? Are you pleased now? And they're right. like, stop doing something, please. Uh, he comes to his senses and releases them, and then once everybody's calmed down, they have a conversation making explicit some of the differences between uh, Sidar and Sadine. Surrendering versus fighting. Yes. Gross. <laughs> Before the girls leave, also that, like, it does different things. Um, like, fire functions differently for the two sides, which is weird. Yeah. Before the girls leave, Aggie tries to tell Rand that she loves him like a brother and not like romantically, so they can't marry. He's like, oh, thank God. I didn't want to have to be the one to tell you first, but I feel the same way. She's like, it's nice that you're lying for me. <laughs> because He's not lying. Because he doesn't I want you. Egwene cannot conceptualize human feelings. She sucks. Yeah, so that's our Egwene. She... Says there's no way Rand is telling me the truth. He must be lying. Egwene sucks. What a sweet guy. He's trying to protect my feelings. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's the end of that section. Kind of We're nothing like, happened. Yeah, we got a lot of palace life. We got a lot of palace life and some exposition about. So I will say. I think book four is like a marked change in the series, and that might be because in writing it, Jordan realized that it wasn't going to be a six book series. But like, I feel like everything changes, like the scope totally expands. There was no talk about stuff like bubbles of evil. We get characters sitting down and like spouting exposition about here's how magic works. No if, ands, or buts. Like, yeah, palace life happens. Everything. I feel like this book is so different from the last one. And, like, the series was nothing before book three. It was just kind of a continued hero's journey. So. Yeah. I mean, 
this is the first book where Rand's quality of leadership is very important. Yes. Yeah, because now he's actually leading people. And from this point forward, uh, I think I talked about it last book, that like the scope of the world and conflicts totally changes from here on out. Yeah, I think that's actually the main tone shift is that Rand is now an actual leader rather than just a chosen one. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of his character conflict going forward is about like how much pressure he's under just as a figurehead. Yeah. And he hasn't had to deal with that before. And that's pretty much his whole character from now on. Yeah. Sadly, for the next like seven or eight books, much like how Fael and Perrin are, have the same subplot for that long. Like, Rand's position in the plot changes throughout that time, but his personal struggle of, like, being the savior of humanity and dealing with that, but without going crazy like in book three. Humanity don't want to be saved. Yeah. That's pretty much his thing. Next section will be better. Next section, things happen. Events occur. This wasn't even bad. It's just slow. It's just a slow start. Like, this wouldn't have been that slow if it was half the length, but because every event is, like, given room to breathe and fills the space that it's in, it takes a while to get through. This was, like, 150 pages. But yeah, that was that first section. Um, So next week we're going to read chapters 8 through 17, which almost puts us at the end of people being in the stone. I think Rand leaves later. Rand definitely leaves later. Um, The next chapter after that is Perrin leaving and Matt goes with Rand and the Wonder Squad leaves in the section following. So like this is the next one. Very protracted leaving. Yeah. The next one includes the chapter in this book called Leave Takings. Uh, The next one is people getting ready to leave, and then the one after that is people actually leaving, which contains one of the only two bad chapters. It's really bad. It's so bad. Oh my god, the two bad chapters are so bad. Why are they so bad? Because they're about Elaine and the Knave. (laughs) Uh, Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter, at Wheel Reading, which I'll have in the description of the episode. And if you leave any reviews on iTunes or any of your other podcast services, it really helps people find us. And we love hearing from people that listen to the podcast. Tweet at us, leave us a review. Anything helps, and we love hearing about it. Yeah. Um, Well, cool. This has been The Third Wheel. Uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Bion. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.